What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, we begin a four-week series called, What's the Point? Today's message is titled, Time. You'll learn how Solomon communicates how the brevity of our time here on earth can help us discern if we're spending our time wisely. Here's family pastor, J.C. Thompson. Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here. Uh, We are starting a new series today called What's the Point? We've got some young people with us today. If you're a little one in here, could you just wave to me? Let, Let me see your hands. Yes. If you want to be a little one, you can wave your hand at me too. I'm glad you're here too. <laughs> Man, I am, I am so thankful. Can I just tell you, it is a joy to be one of your pastors sitting back there listening to you sing the truth that we were singing this morning. Our worship band did such a good job, but hearing you sing, there's joy in knowing, knowing what's going on in a lot of your lives. It's, it's a joy to hear and to come out here and get ready to preach Yesterday was a big day. I don't know if you've heard. Yesterday was Christmas. Today is the day after Christmas. Uh, It's also my wife's birthday. So if you got anybody to celebrate, yes, you can celebrate her. Listen, let me just tell you, if you like me, you would really like her. Um, She is amazing in each and every way. But uh, I will tell you, Christmas is one of those uh, interesting times to me always. There's so much excitement. You're super pumped. And if you got kids, you're like really excited because they're really excited. And then like Christmas comes and goes and then it's like the day after Christmas. And you start to think, all right, uh, at some point we have to take these decorations down and the kids are thinking, man, there's only one week till we got to go back to school. And it's like reality. And so I thought I'd give you kind of a picture of that. I'm sure most of you have heard uh, the poem Twas the night before Christmas, but I found this one by an anonymous author called Twas the Day After Christmas, and I'd like to read it to you. Twas the day after Christmas, and all through the house, every creature was hurting, even the mouse. The toys were all broken, their batteries dead. Santa passed out with some ice on his head. Wrapping and ribbons just covered the floor, while upstairs the family continued to snore. And I, in my T-shirt, new Reeboks and jeans, went into the kitchen and started to clean. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the sink to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the curtains and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eye should appear but a little white truck with an oversized mirror. The driver was smiling so lively and grand, the patch on his jacket said, U.S. Postman. With a handful of bills he grinned like a fox, then quickly he stuffed them into our mailbox. Bill after bill after bill, they still came, whistling and shouting, he called them by name. Now Dillard's, now Broadway's, now Penny's and Amazon. Here's Levitz's and Target's and Mervyn's, all here. To the tip of your limit, every store, every mall. Now charge away, charge away, charge away all. He whooped and he whistled as he finished his work. He filled up the box, then turned with a jerk. He sprang to his truck and he drove down the road, driving much faster with just half a load. (laughs) Then I heard him exclaim with great holiday cheer, enjoy what you got, you'll be paying all year. (laughs) Yes, you can clap for that author. 
But you go from this wonderful moment of anticipation and excitement, and then you get to the place where you're thinking, all right, back to reality. And so I thought, what a great day to start a new series. And I have a book that I really like in the Bible. It's called Ecclesiastes. Now, it gets a bad rap, but it was written by a man named Solomon. And what I love about Solomon, besides the fact that he was called by the Bible the wisest man to have ever lived at that time, he also was a king. He was the son of a great king with a tender heart. And he had all kinds of stuff. And so what we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is we see a man who may not have been a theological scholar, but he was really good at looking at life and drawing wisdom out of it. And so if you're in here, and maybe you got dragged here today because you came in town to open presents and they made you come to church, maybe you're a college-age student and your mom and dad said, hey, you've got to come today. Whatever the reason is, you can know that you can see some truths about your life by just looking at it. And Solomon helps us do that. But here is some bad news about going through this book. We're going to have to go through it quickly. We've got four weeks. And Solomon doesn't tie, he's not like Paul, he doesn't tie a bow on everything. So you may read the text for today and go, this is not good. Well, you're going to have to keep coming back. Because the whole book of Ecclesiastes is to teach us a lesson. And so we'll have to read the whole book to understand. So the reason why I called this series, What's the Point?, is it's because the question that Solomon asked is that question. And we'll read it real quick. Chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. These are the words of the teacher, Kohaleth, in Hebrew. King David's son who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. And then here's his question. Verse three, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? What's the point? Imagine your life way back in 2019. Could you have imagined what the next two years of living life on earth was going to look like? Children, you had... Christmas yesterday. Have any of your toys already broken? Raise your hand if you've already broke a toy. My son, they were playing with their football, and yes, it it came apart. Absolutely came apart yesterday. We'll try and glue it. Anybody lose a gift card? (laughs) Isn't it amazing how these things that we spend all year thinking about, dreaming about, they come, and then we go, What's next? This book is a tough book. But I I think that it will benefit us. Now, I believe that Solomon wrote this book. There is some more contemporary debate on that because of the, the timing in which this book was wrote. But as you read through, you'll see things that I think only Solomon could have said. I think Solomon is the author of this book, not only because of uh, the things that are written in it, but because of some of the interesting things that he says. you got to remember, now Ecclesiastes may be one of those books that you get particularly frustrated with, but it was written by the wisest man in the world. So sometimes you've just got to go, okay, I'm just going to trust that this guy, who the Bible says the wisest man in the world, knows a thing or two. This book contains poetry, 
It contains prose, and in all the things he makes observations and then he shares with those who would read, here's what I think this is trying to teach us. So for today, we're going to talk about time. If you got your outline, you can pull it out. What's crazy is, is this world turned into a crazy place a real long time ago. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3 when everything came crashing down. And I think we'll see some things today about what we can observe here on earth and realize very quickly we have some things to think about. Okay? So, Solomon answers his first question because it was rhetorical. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? What do you think people get for all their hard work under the sun? What do you get? Money? But what happens when you're done? Who gets your money? In this country, maybe. Maybe the government. But here's what Solomon is trying to tell you. What do you get for all your hard work? Nothing. Nothing. Now, some of the kids in here are going, that is not what my mom and dad get. They get a paycheck, right? But the reality is, is Solomon is trying to teach you at some point, you won't have it. One of the words that you'll see over and over in this book is the word that we see in verse 2 translated meaningless. The Hebrew for that word is hevel. In fact, if you spend any time around Jewish people, you probably would sometimes hear them say that when something breaks or goes wrong. They'd be frustrated. Now, it means meaningless as in value, but another thing that it means is meaningless when it comes to time, that life is passing away like a vapor. So some of your translations may say that, things are passing away. But this word will be repeated, why? Because Solomon wants us to understand that these things that we think have so much meaning really are meaningless. So if you got your outline, time's passing reveals some things to us. As time ticks on, it shows us our impermanence. Impermanence. Now, that's a big word, kids. Basically, what that means is it doesn't last forever. It doesn't last forever. We are not permanent. See, Solomon writes this poem here in verses 4 through 11 that we will read about today. This poem is a chiasm, which means that the top part of the poem and the bottom part of the poem are parallels. They're saying the same thing. And the point of the poem is not at the end. The point of the poem is in the middle. And he uses the beginning and the end, and it keeps coming to a crest, and the crest is the middle. And so we'll see things that he teaches us about time's passing today through this poem. So I want to read both sets, the mirrored sets today, to parallel. And so the first one we'll look at is in verse 4 and in verse 11. Verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. Verse 11, we don't remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. And that's a stark reality to hear. What's Solomon trying to say? Well, kids, impermanence, I told you it's a big word that just means something that doesn't last forever, but I'll give you a picture of that, okay? 
Impermanence is also another word for the money that you got from your parents and grandparents at Christmas time. It's going to burn a hole in your pocket, right? You got to spend it on something. See, Solomon wants us to recognize that our impermanence is not just the things in the material world, but it's, it's us. Our lives don't last forever. Generations come and generations go, but guess what? The earth keeps spinning. In fact, I had a mentor tell me one time I was moving from fifth and sixth grade to high school pastor, and I was in my mid-20s, and I was thinking, man, what an incredible impact this ministry has had, and now I'm moving into this new role, and how in the world am I going to be able to do something new? How are these people that I'm leaving in this other ministry, how are they going to survive? My mentor said, here's what I want you to do, JC. I want you to get your five-gallon bucket and fill it up with water. He said, I want you to put your fist in it. And he said, as fast as you can, yank your fist out of that water. He said, the amount of time it takes that water to fill in that hole is the amount of time people will miss you. (laughs) And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. For some of you, you'd go, no. But for some of you who've moved, you've changed jobs, you realize it's a pretty true statement. And that's hard to hear. It's humbling. I remember being mad at my mentor for a little bit for saying that. But I think it makes us value present so much more. In verse 11, he says that no matter what you do or accomplish, it won't be remembered. And even if it is, the ones who remember it will also eventually forget or their life on earth will be over as well. It's pretty blunt. But I want to kind of give you like a picture of this. I mean, some of you right now are like, dude, this Solomon is real tough. But let me ask you this. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that what you're doing may not have any impact? Or do you just kind of brush that to the side and keep moving forward and keep doing the things that you always do? Do you put important conversations that you know may have internal impact, that may very well may change someone's life. Do you put those on the back burner so you can just keep kind of moving forward? In fact, as I talk to many of you who are older, the reality that time is passing away is stark and in front of you. Now, if this is frustrating to you and you are one of those people who's like, this is not true, this can't be true, I'd like to give you a little bit of an illustration. I heard this illustration from another pastor. Every person who's ever been born has eight great-grandparents. How many of them can you name? That's only a few generations removed. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago who's a smidge older and is a cancer survivor, and he was sharing with me how his body, when it gets cold, he's starting to lose some feeling in his fingers and his toes. He, he, he can remember clearly his body didn't always react to the cold this way. Young people, it's one of the reasons why you need to get next to some older people. You need to hear what they have to say about life. Older folks in here, it's why you need to get next to some young people and quit telling them life lessons and instead share your story with them. We remember your stories. 
He couldn't remember if it was because of the chemotherapy or just because he was getting older, but his experience with life itself is changing. And life does that when you age. You feel the impermanence of time more and more every day. But when's the last time you took a moment to reflect on the fact that your life will have an endpoint? I mean, to really stop and think and take, take a measurement of your life and ask yourself if, if, if today was it. Have I said everything I've wanted to say to my family? Have I shared everything that I could have shared? Is there someone who needs to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and I've been waiting for the right moment instead of the now moment? And for most of us, we really reflect on this when someone close to us has passed. We begin to think about the impact of life itself, And today, you have another opportunity to think afresh. But do you really believe that your life has an endpoint? I want to do something. If if this is your first Christmas that you've spent since losing a loved one, if you could just please stand. This is my first Christmas after losing my brother-in-law. In fact, he usually sits right on that side of the auditorium. It's my first sermon to preach with him not being here. I always knew if I was doing a good job, if he stuck around, He had cerebral palsy, so he would leave. (laughs) He would cough and throw a fit if he didn't like what I was saying. (laughs) I had instant feedback from him. But if you don't mind, I'd like to just be a pastor to you for a moment. And our church would like to be the church for you. If you're watching online, we'd love to do the same for you. Just please tell somebody in the comments that you've lost a loved one. Please name them by name. I'd like to share a prayer with you if you don't mind. And if you see someone around you, please reach out your hand to them. The holidays can be a difficult time. God, we ask you, Lord, to all those who are bereaved, the spirit of faith and courage, that they may have the strength to meet the days to come with steadfastness and patience. God, we do not sorrow as those without hope, but we do so in thankful remembrance of your great goodness to us and in the joyful expectation of eternal life with those whom we love. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all our church said, amen. Thank you for standing to recognize them today. I appreciate that. See, the psalmist shares this in Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16. Our days on earth are like grass. They're like wild flowers. We bloom and then we die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here at all. But when we look at life in the proper way, we actually acknowledge something that can grow our faith. We acknowledge that we are a creature and that we have a creator, and we are created by someone who will never die. He proves to us that life goes on because his son was resurrected from the dead. And we can trust that we will spend eternity with him because of who he is. 
when we embrace the limited time frame of our life, we also embrace our proper place as creature rather than striving to be in control of our lives. See, creatures view life as a gift given to them by their creator. If you've ever owned a faithful dog, you know. It's almost like they're just happy to be alive. But if we place ourselves in the position of God, trying to control and manage and maintain our existence, often at great cost to us and those around us. So let me ask you this. What signs in your life, what are you doing? What are you saying to show that you truly believe and live as if you are a, create, a creature instead of striving to be in control of your life. Time's passing also reveals our lack of improvement. Let's look at the next mirrored set in this poem, verses five and six and nine and 10. Five and six. The sun rises and the sun sets then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Verse nine, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. Now, you've got to understand, this was most likely written in the 10th century B.C. It's easy to think Solomon hadn't seen most of the things that we get to experience in life, right? He hadn't seen things like air conditioning, or automobiles, or the iPhone. But even those things are just applications of desires that people have had since the beginning of the earth. You think Adam and Eve didn't want to be cool at some point? You think as Jesus was walking with his disciples, they were thinking to themselves, this is a long walk. It would be good if we had something else to take us there faster. You think people never painted pictures to remember things or take them and show them to all their friends? People have always wanted to get cool from the sun to get somewhere faster and to gain a large following on TikTok. I mean, sorry, I mean that people have always wanted to be liked by other people. Yet with all the education, understanding, and revelation that we have from Christ in the gospel and also through the word of God, can we really say that the world is better than it would have been in 10th century BC? I don't think so. Wars, disease, genocide are still things that we deal with today in 2021. But instead of this causing us to drop to our knees, get with God, we pour ourselves into education, self-care, conspiracy theories, and green initiatives, thinking that somehow we'll turn the page and make this world a better place. All the work, effort, and productivity that you give to these projects at work, thinking that they'll be world-changing, really don't change the world. They're not even worth all the stress, overwork, fracture in family relationships that may be caused because of them. Yet we are tempted to think, my time is different. My time and my effort will change everything. But Solomon shares that the world is not getting better. 
Creation continues to run its course. It continues to cycle. We see this especially in our young children when they desire to play with the box more than the toy that you got them. It's because they're not impressed by new. They're impressed by fun. And as you get older, you want something new to shock you out of routine. And yet kids can laugh at the same joke until they're 35. The same thing that kids in 10th century BC would have been impressed with still impress them today. If the world never improves, does your life truly have meaning? If your project fails, if technology lets you down, if your health degrades, how's your outlook on this life? Time's passing also reveals our infinite appetites. Our infinite appetites. Verse 7 and 8, this is the point. This is where Solomon's driving us, and here's, where he said, here's what he says. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. This is the crescendo. Solomon is sharing, there ain't no satisfaction. Hey, any kids in here get everything on your Christmas list? Did you decide I'm not making a list next year because I got everything I wanted? Parents, you're not going to ask for anything next year? You got everything you wanted, right? Uh, Thank you. (laughs) I would like to talk to you after this service so we can see you next year. But it's true. We watch a show on Netflix, and then we think, well, there's got to be something else out there. And you know what? We'll never get to the end of it. You listen to some new album does weird things with your emotions and feelings and you feel like you're thinking and dreaming about stuff you never did and then, you know what, you're looking for the next one. And what our desires that are infinite should teach us is that we weren't just made for this world. We were made for a different world. This world will never satisfy you. Oh, but JC, you haven't had my mom's cooking. That's true, I probably haven't. But I've had my mama's cooking, and I've had my mother-in-law's cooking. And let me tell you, it's real good. In fact, I would be an angel investor in Aunt May May's bakery if she decided to open one. Because she can make some cupcakes with no gluten and no dairy, and they'd blow your socks off. But can I tell you something? I still want another cupcake when I'm done. We have these desires for comfort and love, hunger, thirst, beauty, and more. We satisfy them a little bit, but then guess what? They want more. How many of you said yesterday, after that giant Christmas meal, I'm never eating again? And then you woke up and your tummy rumbled a little bit today. 
Everything is wearisome, Solomon said. We can't see enough, we can't hear enough, we can't get enough. So JC, basically what you're saying is, Solomon wants us to know that we're gonna die, the world is not improving, and that we'll never get everything that we truly want. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. In fact, if Christ is not a part of your life, this may be the most depressing message you've ever heard. Because the reality is, is as good as this earth is, it's not good enough to satisfy you. Well, that's it. That's the text today. Now, remember what I said, right? There's no bow here in this text. But Solomon wrote a whole book. You might even be asking at this point, what's the point? What's life supposed to be like? If this is true, what are we doing? But here's a key that you've got to wrestle with. This life will never satisfy you. Solomon, in fact, uses the phrase under the sun repeatedly to show you This is life on earth, under the sun. It doesn't just mean the things created under the sun, but it also means the same thing that Jesus meant when he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a system of authority. It is the world, it is the kingdom. It's a way of operation. This kingdom, this system Life under the sun cannot satisfy us. We need another world. We need another kingdom. We need something beyond the sun. And that's what God is doing. He's preparing a place for us. Those of us who place our faith in Christ can know and trust that this is not all there is. All of us, whether we have faith or not, long to outlive our short lives. We want our lives to have meaning and significance for future generations. We want our unlimited desires to be satisfied and to find contentment. But Solomon will make the argument in this book that the only way that these things happen is a life lived in obedience to God. In fact, the end of Ecclesiastes, I'll give you the end. Chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. The story of this world continues in this way. Our thing, the things that we do, they're bad. We find ways other than obedience to God to meet these desires that we have, to control our lives, to make it better, or at least our version of better. But God sent his son Jesus from beyond the sun to come live life under the sun, to experience planet earth and the foolishness of the system of this world and to bring his kingdom on earth in those who place their faith in him. The beyond the sun life under the sun. He did that by 
living a life in perfect obedience to God like Solomon would have said is the proper way to live and then sacrificing his life on behalf of those who trust him. His obedience took on our disobedience and dying in our place. If you've never been struck that God who lived beyond the sun came to experience life under the sun for you and then die in your place, today is the day to talk to someone about that. For some of you in here, you may have been living a double life, saying that you're placing your faith in Christ, but really you're placing your faith in whatever news you hear, whatever new mindfulness technique you can get to make the shame and guilt of your life pass away. And I want to share with you, there's only one solution to the double life that you're living, and it's surrender to Christ. For those of you in this place who you are a follower of Jesus, but there are things that maybe you're not as urgent on as you should be. Today's the day to change that. You know, I think about it's a wonderful life and the gift that was received that he got to see what life would be like without him. Today, we've received a gift in being reminded that our time on earth has an end point. What would you do if today was it? What if you knew that this was your last day? What would you do? What would you sing? What would you eat? What would you say? What would you pray? There's a prayer I'd like to share with you that I think is important. It's in Psalm 90:12. If you're a follower of Christ, I pray that you'll pray this prayer this week. It's our memory verse, Psalm 90:12. There's a prayer written by Moses. And he just says this, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize the brevity of our life so that we may acquire a heart of wisdom, so that we may grow in wisdom. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, I pray that's your prayer. But if you're not, and you're looking at your life and you're going, I agree with a lot of what Solomon says, but my faith is not in Christ, and now I'm concerned. You should be. You will face God one day. You'll either face him with the forgiveness and satisfaction of placing your faith in Christ's finished work or you'll face him with your life. And so I pray if that's you, please come down front and talk to our counselors. They're coming up right now. We're gonna pray together as a church and I hope you'll be here next week as we continue to figure out what's the point of all this. And I pray that God will make us wise. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to number our days. Help us in the midst of thinking that we're gonna live forever. Help us to realize on this earth we we won't live forever in this way. Thank you, though, that you are preparing a place for those you call children. Thank you that one day every tear will be gone from the planet earth. Thank you that one day we'll have complete and utter joy in your presence. That the presence of sin itself will be rid from this planet. And that we will experience joy in Christ himself. God, I pray if there's someone in here who is fighting against the truth that everything under the sun is meaningless, I pray, God, that you would prick their heart deep And I pray 
that as they're confronted with their sin, if they're confronted with the fact that they're just looking for the next thing to satisfy them, that you would convince them that only you can satisfy. God, help us this week to love those in our midst, love those around us with intention and purpose. We pray all these things in the name of Christ and everybody said, amen. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Next Sunday, January 2nd, we'll continue the series, What's the Point? To prepare, read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 26. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the What's the Point series. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ as well. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.